you got your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 9. Tonight we're going to simply, the message is entitled, Remember. Remember. You know, it's easy to wonder where God is when things are going bad. I wonder how many of you have ever had that experience when things weren't quite going your way and you just asked yourself or you cried out to God and you said, God, where are you? Where are you at? None of y'all have ever done that, right? Y'all have never questioned God. Y'all have never asked God why. Just, I'm the only one in here, right? Y'all have never just wondered, God, you know, why is it I'm going through such difficult times and, and you just seem to be silent, right? Okay. I, one other person. Thank you, Ronnie. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. But you think about that. I mean, it, it is easy when things are not going your way. The first thing that you begin to think about is you're thinking to yourself, God, where are you? Why can I not feel you? Why do you seem so distant? Why, why can't I hear from you? Why, why can't I see your hand move? And, and we begin to question God. We begin to question what he's doing in the midst of those times. And, and the people of Israel, man, they, they were always, it seemed like, constantly questioning God again and again and again about his faithfulness. But to be honest with you, what they should have been questioning was their own faithfulness. They should have been questioning what they were doing wrong. They should have been questioning why they had walked away from God, not a matter of God walking away from them. What I want you to understand tonight is simply this. God has never, ever walked away from you if you're his child. Amen. He's never forsaken you. And get you ready for this? And even when you go through struggling and difficult times, he won't walk away from you then either. The Bible says he promises he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if you've ever felt forsaken, you're wrong. That is just a lie of Satan. Because he wants you to feel alone. He wants you to feel discouraged. And he wants you to believe that God doesn't care anything about you. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's that simple. You are never alone. God is always right there with you. Israel needed to be reminded of that. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this idea of the Israelites remembering God's faithfulness. And we're going to look at six times in Israel's history where they could remember God's faithfulness, and therefore they would be able to expect God's faithfulness in the future. So look with me beginning in verse 5. It says in verse 5 and 6, we see they remembered God's faithfulness at creation. Then the Levites... Jeshua, and Kadmiel, Benai, Hajbani, Serabai, Hadajai, Shabaniah, and Pathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be the glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. For even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens. With all their hosts, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein. And thou perseverest them all, preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. God was faithful in creation. And you think about this. When I think about creation, and if you were here for the simulcast, you got to hear some really smart guy during the breakout session. Anybody listen to that guy a little bit? Man, he was, man, he's so smart. I'm not that smart, so I'm not going to try to do what he did. But I'll just simply tell you this. When you think about the fact that God was faithful in creation and the way God created and the fact that God created you, that ought to give you some stability in believing that God is watching over you and taking care of you. 
When I look at creation, I'm amazed. You know, when Job was going through his difficulties, and let's just be honest, Job did question God. He wanted to, he wanted to stand trial before God. If you read the book of Job, you see that. A lot of people say, oh, well, Job never questioned. Yes, he did. He had no problems. He questioned God. He brought it up. He wanted to stand trial before God. He wanted to try to prove his innocence. When God responded, how did God respond? You know that God responded with creation, right? Where were you when the world was formed? Oh, man, could you imagine if God said that to you? Where were you when I put a stop to the oceans? I don't even know where I was at. Where were you when I spoke light into existence? I don't know. Where were you? Man, God asked him so many questions about creation. What did Job say? He says, I spoke once, I won't speak again. He was smart. I mean, you think about this. In creation, God spoke and it happened. I mean, how cool is that? It blows me away. I mean, he, he brought up some of the theories that I've been taught over the years, the gap theory and the day-age theory and all these different. Can I tell you what a theory is? A theory is an unproven trying to understand something you just can't understand. Can I just tell you what I believe? God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. When he said he created on six days, the word in the Hebrew is yom, which means a 24-hour period. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created them in six days and he created everything that was within them in six days. And when God spoke, it happened and that was it. It's that simple. God said, I'm going to say there's going to be light and the light is going to be separated from the darkness. There's day one. Then God said, you know what? Now I'm going to separate the, the waters of the heavens from the waters of below. I'm going to separate it. And so I'm going to bring a firmament in there. And it happened, and that was day two. Day three, he said, you know what? I'm going to bring some land up from the ground. And so all of a sudden, he brings this land up from the ground so that there's dry ground. Boom, there's day three. Vegetation, grass, all of those things, trees, it all came up at that time. Day four, God said, you know what? I'm going to cause the inhabitants of the light to happen. So I'm going to create the sun, the moon, and the stars. How hard is it for God to go, sun, there it is. Moon, there it is. Stars, there they are. Boom, it's done. Day four, over. Day five, he says, you know what? I've separated the heavens, and i separated to the waters of the sea. So day five, I'm going to put some birds in the air and I'm going to put some fish in the sea. Boom, it happened. Day five, it's over. Day six, he says, you know what? I'm going to create mammals that will roam on the ground. Now, what's interesting is it says that God spoke them and he formed them out of the ground. In other words, what happened was when God said cow, guess what came out of the dirt? A cow. He formed it out of the ground. He formed it out of the dirt he had created on day three. But there was a difference when he decided to make man. It says he formed him he got down, he formed him, and then he breathed life into man. And day six was over. That's what this book says. That's what I believe. And all them knuckleheads that want to think it happened over millions of years, well, they can go meet their relatives at the zoo. Okay? God was faithful at creation. And what that shows us is simply this. If God created you, if he loved you enough to make you the way you are, are you ready for this? He made you just the way he wanted you, and there's nobody like you. Why do you want to change yourself? He made you just the way you are, just the way he wanted you. You are a beautiful creation in God. And it shows you this, that he loved you when he made you. But he also will sustain you and provide for you and take care of you. That's his faithfulness to his creation. That's what God wanted Israel 
to see. Number two, they remember God's faithfulness to Abraham. Look at verse 7 and 8. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram and brought us him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave us him the name of Abraham and found us his heart faithful before thee and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites to give it, I say, to his seed and has performed thy words for thou art righteous. Now we're going to get a history lesson. This is what chapter 9 is all about. It's a history lesson for Israel. All right. Now, what he's saying here is simply this. God, you started Israel with one man. His name was Abram. Now, you need to understand something about Abram. Abram came from a family that worshipped idols. Did you know that? There was nothing special about Abram. God called him out of his idol-worshipping family and said, I want you to go to a land. Now, here's what's interesting. Abram didn't question God. He simply said, wherever you lead me, I'll go. And that's exactly what happened. Abram didn't even know where he was going. So, in fact, when he leaves over the Chaldeans, he goes up north to a place called Iran. And there, his father ends up dying. And so he takes Lot with him. And then God says, okay, now we're going to take you down south. Now, could you imagine if God said, here's what I'm going to tell you. I I want you to just take one step at a time and don't move until I tell you to move again. How many of y'all could do that? Can you? God knows I can't stand still. But you think about that. I'm going to give you the next step, Abram. I'm going to tell you where to go. In fact, Abram moved around a lot when he came into the promised land. In fact, wherever he went, he built an altar so that he could worship God there. God honored his faithfulness. God honored his willingness. Because you think about this. How many of you be willing to leave everything you know and everybody you know and just go where God tells you to go? That's pretty faithful if you ask me. But look at verse 8, it says, And found us his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites. You know what's interesting about the covenant that God gave to Abraham? When you read about it, if you've been reading in Genesis, where we've been in our reading through the Bible, you know that God gave a covenant to Abraham, and the covenant was through circumcision. That was the part that Abraham, he had to circumcise every male child from eight days old. All right. Now, before that, if they were older than that, that means means adults were getting circumcised. Males that were in his family were getting circumcised. That means Isaac, when he was a young man, was being circumcised. That means Abraham, when he was an old man, was being circumcised. He did that as a sign of the covenant. But here's the thing. When God made a covenant with Abraham, you know what he told him? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these animals, and I want you to cut them in half, and we're going to make a trail. And what you're going to do is you're going to separate those animals. And and what's going to happen is is we're going to walk through, and this is what's called to cut a covenant. It's an Old Testament belief. It's called to cut a covenant. And so they would make this path. And what would happen is, as you would make a covenant with another person, as you walk between these dead animals, what you were basically saying is, may we become like these dead animals if we break our covenant. May we end up just like these animals that we're walking in between if we break our covenant. But does anybody know what happened at that time? Guess who fell asleep? Or better yet, guess who put him to sleep? God put Abraham to sleep, but gave him enough vision to be able to look up and see a smoking oven going through and a burning torch going through. What was that? It represented that God was going through. God was making a covenant that God would not break. Abraham, guess what? It wasn't a covenant that Abraham could or could not break. It was a covenant simply given by God. You know what that means? That means Israel is God's chosen people, not because Abraham did something for it, but because God chose them for it. That's why, that's why I think it's so important for us to always stand with Israel just like our president does. Always. Why? Because they are God's covenant 
people. God promised them the land. Here's the thing. Abraham didn't get the land in his time. Isn't it amazing that it took 400 years? In fact, it was prophesied to Abraham that guess what? You're going to have to wait 400 years because their sin hasn't come to the full. A lot of people ask me that. They say, well, Brother John, I, I, just don't, I don't understand the God of the Old Testament. You know, the God of the Old Testament, he seemed to be a very violent God. No. God of the Old Testament was merciful too, just like the God of the New Testament. He's the same. He's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, wait a minute. He told them to go in there and destroy those people. He gave them 400 years to get straightened out. When they refused to get straightened out, their sin had come to the full, and God said, now it's time to go in, and you're going to wipe them out so that they won't cause you to sin as well. God showed them mercy for 400 years with a prophecy he gave to Abraham just before he walked through the covenant. God was faithful, and he wanted them to remember God's faithfulness to Abraham. Number three, they remember God's faithfulness in the Exodus. Look at verse 9. And did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and showed us signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on all his servants, and on all the people of his land. For thou knowest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their prosecutors, their wearest, threwest into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you us them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Man, Israel had an amazing history, didn't they? I mean, those that were there during the time of Egypt, they got to see these ten plagues fall down. Do you want to know what my favorite plague is? My favorite plague is the boils. You know why? Because it was at that point that ex, the, the Egyptian magicians, the, they gave up. They're like, man, we know this is the hand of God because we can't even stand up. They were, they were falling down before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's mad at them. He's upset with them. He's like, why can't you do what their God can do? Because they couldn't. They couldn't. Now, I also wonder, you know, I think about the second plague where he turned the water into blood. He turned all the water into blood. Where'd they find water to turn into blood themselves? They copied, right? But where'd they find the water? He'd already turned it all into blood. And all they could do was try to copy it. When he brought frogs on the land, all they did was bring more frogs. They couldn't do anything about it. Why? Because God's hand was heavy upon Egypt. But one of my favorite is when they come to the Red Sea. All right? And they're standing there at the Red Sea, and the people start complaining. Good old Israel, right? They start complaining. They go, oh, what are we going to do? The enemy's coming, and we got to see in front of us, Moses, what have you done? And Moses prays. And now you might understand why in the book of Numbers, Moses prayed, God, if you're going to leave me with these people, just kill me. Just, just kill me. I can't take it no more. So he gets up there and he starts praying and God goes, what are you doing, Moses? I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Get up there, hold up your staff. He holds up the staff and the Red Sea parts. It splits. And it splits in such a way that when they walk on it, they walk on dry ground. That's impossible. Well, we serve a God of the impossible, right? A God of the impossible. Now, you know what's funny is there were scholars that have tried to refute the claims that the Israelites walked through the Red Sea. Okay? You know what they told me? They said, well, here's what happened. They said they thought they got to the Red Sea, but they got to a little ravine called the Reed Sea. Yeah, they just left out an E in there. They got to the Reed Sea. The Reed Sea's about that high. 
So when they got to it, it was during a, a famine time. And so, you know, it really was already dried up and they walked through on dry ground. And he said, so it really wasn't a miracle. And I said, now wait a minute. It was a miracle. Because if it was the Reed Sea and that was all the water they had and he drowned the entire Egyptian army in it, that's pretty good too. They not know how to stand up in the water? But many walk right on through. God parted the sea. And then this, it says, and he led them by a, pill, by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire. How cool to know that God was their nightlight. And whenever he moved, they moved. Whenever he stopped, they stopped. Man, I would love that. God, just lead me wherever he leads. I'll go. Well, you know what? He gives you something. Every one of you in here have it. You ready? The Holy Spirit. And he'll lead you every step you need to take. He'll guide you. God is faithful. Israel needed to recount this. Number four, they remember God's faithfulness in the desert wanderings. Look at verse 13. Now came us down also upon Mount Sinai and spake us with them from heaven and gave us them right judgments and true laws and good statutes and commandments and made us known unto them the holy Sabbath and commanded us them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. So the first thing he reminds them of is God gave them the law. They needed something to guide them, to direct them, to lead them, to show them the way. Now, it's always funny. People will say, well, the, the people of Israel, they were saved by the law. Do you realize that the people of Israel existed long before the law ever came about? So it wasn't the law that saved them. The law was just a simple tutor to show them their sinfulness and their need for the grace of God in the Old Testament. That was it. It was a tutor. But then he goes on in verse 15, he says, And gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. How cool is that, man? He, he gives them this manna, this coriander seed. He tells them, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide for you. Now, you go into a desert, there's not a lot of provision, right? You might be eating cactus. Uh, you might eat some snakes. That might be about all you find. But God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain down this manna, this coriander seed. In fact, it comes down, and it was like a frost on the ground. And then when the frost was removed, they find this seed. And God said, I want you to scoop up a little each day. And as you scoop up that little, I'm going to provide for you day after day after day after day. And the entire time they were in the desert until they stepped foot into the promised land that God had promised them, God provided them with manna for 40 years. Now, here's the thing. It said it tasted like honey. You want to know what I think it was? I think it was vanilla wafers. <laughs> Man, I could eat them for 40 years. Mm, I'm just kidding. I don't know. It, but it was very tasty. But he also provided quail for them at night. They had meat to eat. God supplied their need. But this is also cool. He said he brought water out from a rock. When was the last time you hit a rock and water came out? God not only did it once, he did it twice. The first time Moses hit it, split open, the entire nation was able to drink from it. The next time, he was supposed to speak to it. But he hit it again, which was his sin that caused him not to enter into the promised land. And yet God still provided water from that rock as well. God supplied their need. He promised them. He fed them. He took care of them. They never, ever did without. Verse 16, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to the commandments and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of their wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks. And in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God 
ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Isn't it amazing? They tried to rebel. They said, you know what? I don't care if you keep providing us manna. I don't care if you keep giving us quail. I don't care if you keep giving us water. We don't like Moses. Isn't that amazing? We don't like the guy that you put in leadership for us. We don't care for him. We don't like him. We want somebody else. So we're going to go boat and have our own leader, and we're going to go back where we were at in the previous place. We're going to go back to being slaves. And look at what it says. But thou art a God ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful and slow to anger. What would you think? You know that there was a time when Moses was up on the mountain and he was getting the commandments of God. And all of a sudden he hears this party going on down below. And God asked him, said, what's going on down there? And Moses goes, what well, sounds like there's, there's some sort of celebration going on down there. And there was a, a celebration. Moses was gone for 40 days and they decided that Moses was gone and therefore God had swallowed him up and they needed a God to carry them back. And so they told him to give them their earrings. And so every man gave them their earrings and they made a golden calf and they began to worship that golden calf as their God. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he does what? He throws the Ten Commandments down at him. And he gets angry with them. And he said, whoever is on God's side, let him slay his brother. And the Levites went through killing those who had been worshiping the golden calf. He said, well, why? Why did God do that? God wanted to get the sin out of the camp. God won't put up with sin in the camp. And so in order for sin to be taken out of the camp, he had to destroy those who brought it in in the first place. You ever wonder why God slew Ananias and Sapphira for lying? Man, he showed grace to so many others. Why did he slay them for lying? Because he wanted to show them he wasn't going to tolerate sin in the new church either. God set it up from the beginning. He showed them he wasn't going to mess around. Sin is not going to be tolerated, but he did pardon the others. Isn't that amazing that he pardoned so many? Verse 18, yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. Yet thou in the manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them by the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. I mean, God could have looked right at them and said, You know what? You're done with me. I'm done with you. I wonder if God... When you think about that, how many of you would think with the unfaithful ways that you've been, if God had ever wanted to just... And yet, he's a God ready to what? To pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsook them not. He kept leading them. He kept loving them. That means even when you're unfaithful, he's still faithful look at verse 20 thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheld us not the manna from their mouth and gave us them water for their thirst yea forty days forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not 
How many of you would like to wear the same clothes you wore 40 years ago? How many of you think you could fit in them? 40 years their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, could you imagine what our kids today would be like? I'm ready to change. I am tired of wearing the same thing all the time. And mom and daddy go, but I ain't got to put patches on them. They still work, right? They still fit. They never did without. Their clothes, their feet never swelled from all the walking. That's amazing. God was faithful. They remember God's faithfulness in the promised land. Look at verse 22. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into corners so they possessed the land of Shion and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multiplied us thou as the stars of the heaven and brought us them into the land concerning which they had promised to the fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as thou would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against thee, and cast the law before their backs, behind their backs, and slew their prophets which testified against them, to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And at the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. These verses are dealing with Joshua and Judges. I love the book of Joshua. Joshua is, you ready for this? Terrified. Terrified. He said, what do you mean he was terrified? Look at who he had to follow. Moses. Why do you think God had to say to him over and over again, be good and uh, be strong and of good courage? Because he wasn't courageous. He was afraid. He's like, Lord, if Moses dealt with this for 40 years, what are you going to do to me? I mean, really, we've been wandering in the desert. Are they going to rebel? Like they got, Here's the thing. A lot of people say, oh, well, they got lost in the desert, and it was all Moses' fault. They didn't get lost in the desert. They got right to the border, and they refused to go in. And because they refused to go in, they went there. They got there in a little over a year's time, to be honest with you. But here's what happened. They get to the land. They refused to go in. They refused to listen to Caleb and Joshua. And because they refused to listen to Caleb and Joshua and go in and take the land, God said this. He said, every person over 20 years old will die and will not go in to the land except Joshua and Caleb. Isn't that, you want to know something that's really interesting? Even in that instant, he also didn't mention Moses and Aaron who would eventually sin and not get to go into the land either. But what did he do? He sends Joshua into the land. You know what the first thing Joshua gets to see? He gets to see the, the Ark of the Covenant go into the Jordan River and it part like the Red Sea and they walk on through. And then they get into the land and right before they're going to go and fight the enemies, you know what God tells them to do? He goes, hey, guess what? Uh, you guys need to be circumcised. Yeah, that means you're going to be down for about the next three to five days right in enemy territory. Have you ever thought about that? All the men would be down for three to five days 
while in enemy territory. No walls, no protection, just God. And they didn't worry. And then the angel of the Lord comes up and he has a plan. The commander of the armies of the Lord, and what he said, he said, and Joshua goes, are you for us or against us? And he goes, I'm commander of the Lord's armies. It ain't a matter. Basically, what the angel of the Lord was saying was, it ain't a matter of whether I'm on your side. It's a matter of whether you're on my side. And he goes, and here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to go up against this city called Jericho. It's got these tremendous walls, and I'm going to have you walk around it. We're going to watch you watch the walls fall flat. You don't have to do anything for that. I got that covered. And you know what? In fact, then you're going to go and you're going to fight another enemy. And when you go in and you fight that enemy, and what's interesting is when Joshua's fighting that enemy, he goes, you know what? We need to be able to beat this enemy. And so he asked for something really unique. He says, sun, stand still. And for 12 hours, it stays right where it was at. And he defeats his enemy. And Joshua got to see God's hand at work again and again and again. And then we come to the book of Judges. Oh, the book of Judges. How sad. Of people who live for the Lord, who've been given everything God had told him he was going to give them, and then all of a sudden they fall away from God. And there's what we call the cycle of judges. You know what that is? The cycle of judges is simply this. The people sinned against God and turned away from him. When they sinned against God and they turned away from him, God brought an enemy in to ransack them, to defeat them, to cause them great pain. Why did God do that? Because then the people began to cry out to God. They turned back to God. They turned away from their idols. They turned back to God and they said, oh God, we're sorry. Please spare us. Please forgive us. Please help us. And sure enough, God does what? God brings in a judge. And when God brings in the judge, the judge comes in there and he defeats Israel's enemies. And so they celebrate and they worship God and they glorify God. And then a few years later, they do what? They go back into their sin. And it's the cycle of judges all over again, again and again and again. And even though they were unfaithful to God over and over and over again, God remained faithful to them by giving them judge after judge after judge after judge it's amazing God remained faithful even when the people were unfaithful that can show us today that even when we fail God God remains faithful in our lives number six they remember God's faithfulness in the kingdom years look in verse 28 but after they had rest and they did evil again before thee therefore leftest thou them in the land of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testifiedest against them, that thou mightest bring them again under the law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto the commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testifiedest against them by thy spirit and thy prophets, yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for their great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Even in the kingdom years, God brought some great kings. David, Solomon was a good king for a time. They had kings like Hezekiah and Josiah. But they also had to deal with kings like Manasseh, who failed greatly. They also had to deal with other horrible kings that kept leading the people of Israel away from God so much so that God eventually just sent them out God sent them into another land Nehemiah remembers this but Nehemiah can also remember that God brought them back he was a part of that bringing back from the land again the kingdom years were much like the years of the judges where the people turned from God and they got faithful to God and they turned from God and they got faithful to God and it was just over and over again but God continued to display his faithfulness to them now why in the world would Nehemiah bring all this up to the people of Israel why would Nehemiah bring up heartache? Because here's the truth. A lot of times when we mess up, we like to just totally forget it, right? We like to say, yeah, that was my past. I don't have anything to do with that anymore. Well, praise God. I hope that's true. 
But you know what? Sometimes we can learn from our past, and we can learn from our mistakes, and we can see how faithful our God is, can't we? And boy, God was faithful to them. And because of God's faithfulness in their past, you ready for this? Here's the last one. They expected God's faithfulness in the future. Look at verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God. Now, please understand. You you look at that, and I know every one of you looks at that, and you go, terrible. Can I tell you, you want to know what the Hebrew word for that actually is? Awesome. Makes me want to sing, Our God is an awesome God, doesn't it? Ooh. All right, hold on, let's go. He, he is the great and the mighty and the awesome God who keepeth covenant and mercy. Let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. How be it thou art just, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. What a statement. Oh God, you are just for everything that's happened to us. Can I tell you something? I, I used to get so mad when my dad would spank me. Did any of you guys ever get mad at your parents for spanking you? Man, I claimed innocence every time, you know. I was like every guy in jail. I'm innocent, right? I was innocent. I didn't do it. It was my brother. It was my sister. It was never me. I was the perfect child, got mad because I felt like I was slighted, that they didn't give me a chance to explain. My parents just knew me well. They knew the truth. They knew I did it. There was no getting around it. But oftentimes when we get punished, we say it's just unjust. It's not fair. But here Nehemiah simply says this, thou art just. Can I be honest with you, the older I've gotten, the more I look back at my life and I say, my dad probably should have tore me up a lot more. My dad actually showed mercy on me many a time. There were a lot of times that God cared for me when he, he, my dad didn't spank me when he should have. And there's probably been a lot of times in your life and my life that God didn't spank us when he should have. He's so merciful and gracious, but he's just, he knows just what to do. Verse 34, neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our father kept the law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. Let me ask you this. Have you always been faithful to God's word? Have you always been obedient? Have you always done what's right? You you realize that if you break one law, you're a lawbreaker, right? Just one, that's all it takes. If I went out here and I stole something, and then I go and I stand before the judge, and he finds me guilty for stealing, and he says, I'm going to put you in jail. And I go, that's not fair. I only did it once. Judge, I didn't mean to do it, but I'm still guilty. And he has every right to throw the book at me and give me the toughest judgment that he could give me if he so chooses. And here he says, our people... 
They didn't listen to thy commandments. They didn't follow thy testimonies. They broke the law. And yet, God didn't throw the book at them. And he hasn't thrown the book at us either, has he? For they have not served thee in their kingdom and and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them and in the large and fat lamb which thou gavest before them. Neither turn they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also thou have, they have dominion over our bodies, over our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. What was their covenant? What was the covenant that they signed? That they would be faithful to a faithful God. I had a friend one time, he said, you know, one of the greatest things he ever did was he took a blank piece of paper and he just signed his name on the bottom of that paper. And he laid it out before God and when he prayed, he said, God, whatever you want to write on there, I'm yours. Whatever you want to covenant with me, I'm yours. Whatever you desire for me to do, it's done. You see, our God is faithful. We can never question his faithfulness. He can absolutely question ours. You see, what you need to realize is that even when you walk away from God, he will not walk away from you. You know, one of my favorite promises for us as Christians, if you're a Christian, you have this promise. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Let me tell you what that means. That means when you're his, you're his. And nothing can separate you from God. That's it. The Holy Spirit is the seal upon your life. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, you are a child of the King, and nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever change that. Now, some people will tell you, well, can't you lose your salvation? Short and simple, no. You can't. There are some people that never really have it. A lot of people say, well, what about these people that are getting saved again? They're not getting saved again. They're getting saved. They didn't have it before. They thought they had it, but they didn't have it. I went through that same thing. But man, when you were saved, you were saved forever, eternally. That's the gracious promise of God. You are his child, and nobody can take that from you. John chapter 10 says that you're in the hand of God. Verse 28 tells us we're in the hand of God. 29 says we're in the hand of Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says he seals it up. So guess what? There's no cracks for you to get through. I heard somebody say, well, we're in the hand of God and we can walk through his face. Why would you want to? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No Christian wants to walk away from God. It's not going to happen. You are sealed. 
And that means when you're his, you're his, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. You see, you may want to cry out like David in Psalm 22, but you ready for this? David was wrong. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt forsaken, but he wasn't forsaken. There was only one who could say it, and it was real. And that was Jesus on the cross when he became your sin and my sin. And he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God had turned his back on his son because he paid for your sin and mine. He was forsaken so that you don't have to be. But if you refuse his precious gift through Jesus Christ, there will come a day where you will be forsaken and cast out of his eternal presence because you chose to ignore his precious gift. Our God is faithful.